the fire. Remember when we went to Dachau, to the concentration camp, and if you, you've got to see him. You've got to see what man's inhumanity to man can really do. But remember the little girl that took us around? She had a wonderful face, but it, it seemed so dour. And I finally asked her, I said, why are you so down? Why are you so depressed? She said, well, I'm from Dachau. So the whole German country, the other Germans have decided that the people from Dachau were the problem, and they're the guilty ones. That allowed the rest of the Germans to not take any responsibility, and it allowed her to be crushed under the weight of a guilt she could never get away from. And that's what we want to do in the oppressed-oppressor dynamic to everyone. Again, you just sit there and go, this is foolishness because it takes away moral agency, it takes away God's work in the world, it takes away the uniqueness of you being created in God's image and with unique gifts, it takes all that away and says that doesn't work. Welcome to Through the Fire, cutting through the passions, clearing the smoke of the cultural confusions of the world today, talking God's love and God's solutions from a biblical Christian worldview. And now, here's your host, Marie and Gregory Seltz. The doctors are in. Hello, hello, I'm Marie. And I'm Greg, but hold the phone, hold the phone. You know what, we didn't pray. And so, you know what, before we get into our introduction, I just want to say to everybody out there, the Lord bless you, then may the words that we share today be a blessing to you, because that's why we come on the program every time, and we just ask that God would uh, make the best of this. Not just for us, because we actually learn ourselves, Mm -hmm. but for all of those of you who are listening today. That's true. So everybody, Amen. welcome. Amen. <laughs> yeah, we do. We pray before every Amen. every yeah. every 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 episode recording. So, so welcome to Through the Fire, where we're on the case, talking about the tough issues in the culture today, facing them with some psychological and theological explanations and applications that we hope will bless you. Right. And Greg, it's really nice to have you back in the studio. At least I think I have to say that because <laughs> in the studio, yeah, we only see each other in the studio now. Well, right? I mean, you've been. I mean, the truth is, is that you've been in DC. Right. You got off the plane, were picked up by somebody else, a staffer, and then you had a meeting. Right. Right. And you were dropped off here. So I'm just now seeing you. Just seeing me. You know, in the plane ride over, I got to tell you a quick story about it because it was so much fun. But I was just thinking, I woke up in D.C., Mm -hmm. you know, and next thing you're on a plane. Mm -hmm. Then I'm in a meeting over in, we were in St. Charles, I think is where Mm -hmm. we were. Mm -hmm. And then I'm here now in studio. And I was talking to this guy on the plane because, you know, I just said, you know, are you going back home? He goes, yeah. And I was saying, oh, I do this all the time. And he goes, me too. <laughs> <You know? laughs> We're just talking about, man, we can't wait to get home. But you think of the technology. Mm-hmm. You think of being able to be in so many different places and to meet so many different people. And yet at the same time, you just yearn to be home. Yeah. You know, there's always that yearning. And I know we talk about it all the time because when I finally do get home, I just want to stay home. Right. You know, and, and you're and like, well, let's go do let's something. Let's go do something. Yeah. I'm ready to get out. Right, right, right. And, and so. I have to say, I'm really impressed because you're wearing this beautiful suit. Uh-oh. And yeah, and I haven't seen this suit. I didn't even remember it, but yeah. I see. <laughs> I couldn't fit in it. <laughs> yeah. So tell everybody about that because, I mean, this is really phenomenal, I think. Well, I, you, yeah, look, I, you look really good. I appreciate it because I, I just finally got to a point with the kind of life that I live back and forth 
forth, back and forth, I was getting not only out of shape, but I mean, I was actually starting to get pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. And that's just never been a problem. I agree. And, it, and it, it's never been a problem. Well, you know, it's funny had. how you look in the mirror and go, I don't know, I think I look all right. <laughs> <laughs> Until you turn to the side, you know. <laughs> and one day I turned to the side and I did not like what I saw. And I just, because I had gotten in good shape, but then when I finished my PhD, that that blew me up and it was terrible because mm-hmm. I'm sitting in a chair right. for like 14 hours a day right. after work and then this. And I know that feeling well. Oh, it's, and it's and just, our daughter's in that phase right yeah, now, writing her so dissertation. Yeah, it's so brutal because, yeah. you know, you're at the computer Constantly. all day at work and then you're at the computer all day at, you know, finishing. Anyway, so long story short, I just decided uh, this is it. I, I mean, I've got to get back in shape. My family needs me to be in shape, you know, all this stuff. So anyway, I went on this, you know, Jordan Peterson thing, right? You know, mm-hmm. where he just eats the meat. The carnivore diet. The carnivore diet. And I, I know you can't do it probably long term. At least I, there are people telling me not to. But man, for the first, I've done it for five weeks now. Mm-hmm. And today I could be breaking through the 200 barrier. Wow. And I'm just like, wow. And you, Because you were up to almost 222, uh, right? Ooh, yeah. That's, uh, I didn't want to admit that on the <laughs> Well, I, I mean, come on. Thanks that for sharing. Encourage people. <laughs> You're welcome. And, and what I'm going to do now is, and, and it is funny because someone said it to me one time before that if you're overweight mm-hmm. and it's like if you're running, well, it's like running with two bowling balls mm-hmm. attached to you. Mm-hmm. Man, it's brutal on your it knees is. and everything. So I even told you I wasn't going to start running until I broke the 200 barrier. Right. But I did run last night and I felt great. Mm-hmm. And I just I thought, man, can you imagine if I lose another 10 pounds? And that's kind of my goal. One, right. Maybe 195, 190, because that's a good weight for me. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I just, I'm wearing a suit now. I bought this suit and literally couldn't get into it for probably the last two, three years. And it's a, is this, is that what they call it? A a shark skin? skin yeah. Suit. Yeah, it's beautiful. Feels great. And uh, yeah, I put it on. I went, okay, this is nice. I guess my closet will be opening up to me. Yeah, that's nice <laughs> instead of being so restricted, right? Yeah, right. so you're looking So really anyway, good. it's good to be here, baby. Yeah. It's good to see you. And we are going home together, so I'm so excited. Yeah, so you better be nice to me. I'll be leaving you here if you're not. But today we're going to be... You how come know, that always t- comes in? And, how come that's always the end of the conversation? I don't know. Women, don't, don't know. do this to your men. Okay, don't do <laughs> Whatever. that. Whatever. Listen, today we're going to talk about something that... I want to be honest here because this is kind of—it's not kind of—it really is impacting and could impact me professionally, right? right? It has really been impacting me for years, and I have been reluctant to talk about this subject because, quite honestly, people will have a lot of, I guess, comments to say. And when I've discussed this in the past with different therapists, depending on where they went to school and how they were taught, I've sometimes even receive some threats about, you know, the way I practice. But I really think that this is really important because it's getting to a pinnacle here where it's just affecting not just, and I don't think people realize that maybe now it's kind of coming to fruition, but a lot of people don't really have the clarity and see where a lot of this is coming from. You know, we have all of these things happening with the kids and the schools and you know, what parents are actually privy to know and being excluded from in terms of their children and then also the way we counsel. So I wanted to talk today about, you know, what's happening with the mental health profession, right? You've heard me talk about this before and encouraged me to talk about it in, you know, previous years and I wasn't ready, but I really, really am now. And it's important to have this discussion. So we're going to talk about how social justice politics has infiltrated, and I'm going to say polluted, the mental health profession, because I do think it has polluted it. In fact, you know, it has impacted my education 
training and the way I practice professionally for a very long time. And listen, there are ever-evolving standards of professional practice for, you know, psychotherapists, counselors, psychologists, mental health providers that are established by the APA, which is the American Psychological Association. And there should be. That should be true because we need to better ourselves constantly. But the social justice politics pollution has denigrated the way that we practice and our focus is on politics now rather than on primarily focusing on the concerns and needs of our clients. Yeah, because it undermines so many things, but fundamentally, people are individuals. Mm -hmm. We all have group experience and things like that, but fundamentally, you are a unique person, and the the Scripture talks this way. You're a a unique person made in the image of God. You have dignity. You have a virtuous life that's meant to be lived for the sake of others that you are supposed to live in community, and to reduce everything down Mm -hmm. to the concept of oppressed oppressors or racial uh, justice or non-racial justice as if that's your identity. Mm-hmm. Like your group now mm-hmm. is your identity. Right. I mean, that's never turned out. Which you have out no w- control over, by r- the way. Exactly. And mm-hmm. so the, it's fatalistic on mm-hmm. top of everything else. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, if you or anyone's ever sought out mental health support or you're thinking of doing so, I do think you need to listen to this episode because some of this nonsense, and I think of it as nonsense, it's also bad theology. It's infiltrating theology point. too. Yeah. But what winds up happening is it's both bad politics and bad theology, mm-hmm. which means it's probably going to be bad psychology mm-hmm. and bad politics mm-hmm. because it's going at the fundamental things about who we are as people. So mm-hmm. it's an imperative because if you listen to what's happening, this stuff is everywhere now. It's impacting how your children receive counseling, support yes. in their schools. And I'm talking about even elementary all the way through university. So this is not something that's going away because it's kind of a secular way of taking over these sciences Mm -hmm. and allowing them to get to where they want to go. And I'm telling you, you don't want to end up there. Mm -hmm. I mean, some people might say, well, standards are important, to which I absolutely agree. Like I said a minute ago, you know, but what has been happening for quite some time has been kicked into high gear, especially with the social identity politics and the standardization and ethical modes of how we mental health professionals practice. I, You know, I look at what you just said there, standards, and I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I was just thinking about what you were saying. That's actually my problem with it. Mm-hmm. They're, they're actually rejecting fundamental standards. They're mm-hmm. rejecting these things, and they're constructing things, sometimes out of whole cloth, mm-hmm. and then saying, and now these are the authoritative directions you are going to go. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example of what I mean by that theologically, because mm-hmm. then you can apply it to what you're talking about here today. The notion of identity politics and racial justice and that as it's being practiced, which says that you really are not a unique person, but you're part of a group and that's your identity, then there is no unique Jesus either. Mm -hmm. I mean, he is a different savior to different groups based on their different experience of him. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not salvation. Because Jesus comes to all of us and says, I saved you all on my terms, not on your terms. And I'm saying that's what racial politics or that's what some of this stuff has done even to theology, Mm -hmm. where it's actually made your identity Mm -hmm. something that isn't now ultimately in God, in Christ, Mm -hmm. but it's ultimately in your race. It's ultimately only in your experiences. And as sinful people, that's just something that finally traps you Mm -hmm. in an identity that actually steals your real identity from you. Well, psychologically... The best thing we can do for our clients is to empower them, right? Mm -hmm. And to have them look at their uniqueness and their purpose and their skills and their strengths and to build upon those things. And what we're doing now with the social identity politics is we're grouping them, right? 
Well, I was like, I was going to say, you used to come home, right? You, mm-hmm. We used to have these discussions. Uh, you come home, you share some of the frustrated. concepts you were being taught in regard to minority populations, terminology, microaggressions, and being frustrated because these courses were actually indoctrinating. It was more propaganda, not actually trying to bring you know good hard facts to the table about how you could be a better counselor to people of different persuasions. But you know, in fact, you felt. <laughs> I remember talking this through with you. You didn't. Not only didn't you agree with it, but you felt you were demeaned by it. I was demeaned. And you shouldn't have been according to their way of thinking about things, but they have a way of demeaning everybody but themselves. Well, no, specifically what was happening is because I'm light-skinned, right, my voice didn't matter. So I'm taking these classes, and what they primarily do is they look at how you look, right? right? And And they make a judgment, which was ridiculous because, by the way, for our listeners, I am Hispanic from northern Spain and Native American. That's my heritage. Yeah, we just got the data that came down. You took one of the... Uh, yeah, but I've known this. I didn't need no, that I mean, to tell me that. No, I mean, you knew your family tree, too, but right. I'm just saying, but even more. And I was I was like, wow, Hispanic well, and Native American. to have that right there. Yeah, and I did incredible. 90%. I didn't do the 50-50 thing. I did 90%. Right. Well, I mean, I've known that for a very long time, but because I don't look a certain way, and even people, well, I'm getting off. But anyway, ponder that for a moment in terms of my voice in school, okay? So we were taught as students that race should be the dominant lens through which, you know, clients were to be understood and therapy to be conducted. For example, as students were taught that whites were either oppressors or bystanders, which, seriously? And if our clients were white, we were supposed to help them see how their ancestors were oppressors and how they today may be unwittingly perpetuating white supremacy over non-whites, or to use a politically correct term, people of color. Can I say something, just jump in on that? Because, you know, I was just saying this to the person the other day, I said, who are you talking about? Because, you know, you and I have done ministry in the city, you know, we've never been comfortable only with people who look like us. We've always been comfortable in wherever God throws us, you know, people of different ethnicities, people of different, even well, because cultures. we're interested in people. Yeah, because intensely interested. Yeah. In fact, yeah. So, But it was always interesting to me when someone says something about white. I said, why are you talking about Northeastern whites? You're talking about Southern whites? You're talking about Midwestern whites? You're talking about Texas? Which one are you talking about? Because they're radically different people. Yeah. And they have radically different values. In fact, one of my buddies was from Liberia. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying to him, you and I are like brothers. And I don't get along with a lot of the people on the Upper West Side who might mm-hmm. look just like me. Mm-hmm. And that's what also, like you said, that's what's happening is that we're actually being forced to actually look at superficial things and make incredibly important judgments. That's true. Make really important judgments because, you know, whenever people are coming to us, right, they're coming Mm -hmm. to us for a reason. But rather than focusing on what their needs are, what their wants are, and what they're coming in for, we're taught to educate them on microaggressions, you know, which are brief statements or behaviors that intentionally or not are communicating a negative message to people from minority groups. I mean, seriously, I mean, White counselors in training were taught how to ask their minority group client if that client felt comfortable or not comfortable with them, which, I mean, I think is good, right? But the reverse wasn't taught. If you had a minority counselor, you weren't taught to ask your majority group member who supposedly was white, you know, do you feel comfortable with me? So it's just, it was so ridiculous. There just was no balance to it. And my own parents went to segregated schools. I am well aware of history. But making this the primary focus of discussion on the dime and time of our patients and clients is a great disservice to them, especially if they are coming in to discuss, listen, depression, anxiety, addiction, and or anger issues. 
Yeah, and you know, it's words that pop up a lot, like, you know, we listen to Jordan Peterson a lot together and stuff like that. You know, the idea of being a victim mm-hmm. or being a victor mm-hmm. or if you're a victim, if you buy into this stuff, you become a person who has no moral agency. Right. It's just somebody else who's always to blame, and and all, all of us you take and no as, ownership. Yeah. Of and as Christians, we've all been taught there's things that have happened to people down through the history where they were treated very unfairly. There's no Absolutely. doubt about those kind of things. But even there, and that's why I even always talk about your grandmother. I love your grandmother, and mm-hmm. I call her the Rosa Parks of West Texas, <laughs> the Hispanic Rosa Parks, and I mean that. I'm yeah, not. She, she I'm, was. Because she fought through racism and empowered herself and those that she loved through education. Mm -hmm. And actually, there's a whole lot of politicians in West Texas who owe their existence to the fact that she said, become something more than this, even if you have to do it in spite of it. I think if you look back, that's the way to attack all this stuff, no matter what's come against you. And you're right. This new way of propagandizing is actually making everybody say, I don't have a moral agency or a way out. There's so many things that are popping out in our discussion here. I just think, you know, the stuff that you were just talking about, it could send people into a deep dive or trigger them toward an outburst. And, you know, I I was just thinking about what, you know, what happens when you just get to talking to people. And then all this stuff is really fomenting in those dialogues in 60 minutes. It could explode on you. You could be victimizing your client if you do That is exactly what we're doing when we do that, if that's our primary focus. You know, there's rarely enough time to get a reaction or response from them, you know, to settle them, right? Because we're sitting here actually kind of making them feel, not kind of, we are making them feel guilt and shame and disempowered by setting all of this this. Well, because you almost have like a framework that they've got to fit into. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought that you were taught as a counselor that you're supposed to actually try to get inside and see where they're at and try to help them become yeah. the best who they are. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it just sounds like now we've got this easy peasy, let me lay this on top of you and this will form you wherever you're supposed to go. Yeah. And I remember talking with some of my supervisors about my frustration with this because I didn't want to do that. But I, I did serve in, you know, Hispanic serving institutions. And I did serve in some hospitals. And, you know, this was the primary focus that we had to do. And I remember talking to a supervisor about this one time. And she said, well, now you know how the minority people feel. And I said, but I am a minority person. Yeah. See, again, the arrogance to say something like that even, that's what drives me crazy. And there's so much involved in this. But, you know. It's so paternalistic. Well, I don't know if it's paternalistic. Or maternalistic. I don't know. It's like I already know about you because I already know that you've suffered this way. And you're like, how do you even know that? I mean, yeah. everybody, everyone's lived individual lives on top the, of all these is, other things. Yeah, it assumes that you've suffered a certain thing or you've been somebody who's caused that, right? right. And applies virtue to it, too. Oh, which oh, is interesting. Very much. I mean, that's the whole thing, right? Because you're only virtuous if you do this. Right. And if you don't do this, and you need to go back for training. And that's the thing as a therapist is I have been threatened to have my license taken away or I need to go back for re-education, which, by the way, is what's happening to Jordan Peterson right now because he's so vocal and has such a voice. I'm just minuscule and, you know, a little blurb. People don't really know who I am. But whenever I do speak, I've had people that are professional in my field that have come up and gotten really upset with me yeah. because they've accepted this philosophy so deeply and yeah. they've been practicing that way they just can't even fathom that they would be causing any harm which they are and by the way there's this whole field of new therapists that are actually taking up patients from the social justice therapists because they have been victimized and they're helping them through this right. which is horrific if and you think about it well, that, that's, but the whole thing is that, that that's what social justice is is to program people. So here we are, okay? We have therapists now that are activists first and healers second. And 
you know, the ACA, which is the American Council Association's Governing Council, printed recently that multicultural and social justice competent counselors assist privileged and marginalized clients in unlearning their privilege and oppression. Privileged and marginalized clients develop critical consciousness by understanding their situation in context of living in an oppressive society and initiate discussions with privileged and marginalized clients regarding how they shape and are shaped by local, state, and federal laws and policy. Now, piece that one out. Well, I mean, there was just so many things you just said there. And one of the things yeah. that Jordan Peterson always pointed out, and I appreciated this, he said that assumes that everything can be reduced to power. Mm-hmm. And by the way, that's a very secular thing. That is not a biblical thing for those of you who really do believe in the Bible. Competence is the reverse of that. There's mm-hmm. competence. There's moral agency. Mm-hmm. And then there's God at work, even in the midst of all this stuff. Well, these folks have reduced everything to power, oppressed an oppressor, and then have established a virtue based right. on that alone. It's a very Marxist framework. But here's the thing. It's saying oppressive society. We're taught to accept that, right, that every society is oppressive. And the people that are coming before us that are not the majority, you know, don't represent membership in a majority culture, that they are being oppressed. And that's not the case all the time. But we are to assume that as they walk in. Well, I thought it was kind of funny. There's something that happened in my work, which is in politics. And, of course, they were talking about the white men who started this country and how oppressors they were. And I said, you know, if you actually think the documents they wrote and read them, Mm -hmm. they're called the Constitution. But that's not being Declaration of Instance. They gave up their power. Mm -hmm. They actually put a government in charge that elevated citizens Mm -hmm. And that's why there's 350 million people from all over the world here. It's one of the only countries that has that much diversity, and it's being held together because these principles are holding it together. Mm -hmm. And they're arguing that these principles were written by white supremacists, which they weren't. And if they were supremacists, why did they give up their power? Mm -hmm. I mean, even Even Washington. Even Washington. They wanted to make him a king. He said said no. no. And so you start to look at that and say, who would have walked away from power But we don't teach that. But that's actually the data. Mm-hmm. And you can have your opinions. You can't have your own facts. You know, mm-hmm. I keep hearing that. But again, as we think about this, you know, there's so many things. So power versus competence. Mm-hmm. And actually, the hierarchies that exist in the world that survive are not power hierarchies. They're always competence that's hierarchies. That's right. And that's the whole point. They're saying, no, they're not. Mm-hmm. There is no such thing. They're wrong. Mm-hmm. Then you as a unique person. You're unique. Even if you're in the same family, you know what's amazing? You know, I come from five boys. You come from three girls. girls. And we're also radically, you know, this whole concept of inequity is another part of this, that we all have to come out the same or it's not just. I'm sorry, even in families mm-hmm. where the mom and dad treated everybody kind of relatively the same. Not we, my family, but okay. Well, but I'm saying <laughs> I'm using it as an example. You know, we all come out radically different just because of our unique talents, our mm-hmm. unique abilities, our drive. It would be uh, sad if we all came out the same. Exactly. So even in a same family, mm-hmm. you're not going to get equity. Right. You can get equality of opportunity, That's right. but not equity. Social justice folks say, no, everyone's got to come out the same with all the same stuff. It sounds a lot like socialism, mm-hmm. and that never has worked. But, you know, I was just thinking, though, but even the virtue, I just want to pop back on this because they create virtue in terms of this oppressed, oppressor dynamic. Mm-hmm. And that means there's no such thing as Ten Commandments. Look, when it comes to some of this stuff, I always remember what Martin Luther King said. I've always kept that in my mind. Someday I want my children to be judged by the content of their character, not the color of their I skin. I said that in the multicultural counseling class that and I had to take. you're going to get whacked. Oh, I did get whacked by the professor. Right. It was amazing to me. 
That, and, I mean, and was this a white professor? I'm not going to say, but oh. he was a minority. He represented a minority group, which, oh. by the way, also I do. And he was part of one. Okay, he was Hispanic. Okay. And he really bit my head off on this. And I learned, because I had to take multiple classes on this, that I had to just be quiet right. and just pretend that, and I'm saying it, I pretended that I accepted so it. So who's in power <laughs> if they can silence you? Right, and that's, and that's the way it was. Nobody talks about that but, today. But the multicultural counseling, really, I mean, that set the standard for culturally sensitive practice. That's what they call it, right? Culturally sensitive practice, which, I mean, I'm not arguing that, there, you know, we can't gain a better understanding and appreciation for different worldviews and perspectives, yeah. We've right? always been that way. That's very important, just even in relationships, and that's what a counseling... That's what you would do. That's what well, you do. Well, let me do. step back from this, too, just because yeah. what I want to also say is people would be shocked to know that, you know, you're a Christian. You believe the Ten Commandments have a moral authority, of a guiding, directing authority in life. Sure. You're not allowed to bring any of that into counseling. Not unless your client does. Right. But right. That, no, but that's what I'm saying. You're, right. not, you're not allowed to have, even though I would say, you mean you're not allowed to have a moral perspective of life? You're supposed to be somewhat neutral in the process. Correct. And you're supposed to allow them to actually dictate where Correct. it's going, which that's, you know, I, I don't want to get into what I believe about that or not. But the point is people would be shocked that you can't bring what you know to be true and know to be a real blessing to people, you can't bring that in mm-hmm. and you could lose your license if you do. Mm-hmm. And yet now we're bringing this structure in regardless of whether the people need it or don't need it mm-hmm. because we've, imposing de- it we've determined they do. Mm-hmm. Now that should actually disqualify this way of thinking right there. I know. I mean, it's just, it's very, very sad. You know, it's grim to me because I think of it's getting worse and worse in the universities and what these students that are seeking to be mental health providers are being taught and what they're having to accept. I mean, you know, I, I'm not going to bring in family members that have struggled with this, but I mean, I do agree. Again, I want to say that I agree that counselors ought to consider culture values and, you know, acculturation of people coming in it, to well, see it's them. not an either or. Th- see, and that's what it bugs me, too, is you and I have been this way all our lives. Mm-hmm. And we go into situations and we ask, how can we be a blessing? How can we actually, we called it becoming 150% person in my work, where, you know, you had to learn to divest some of who you were because, some you know, maybe you didn't fit into the neighborhood and try to, you know, to really appreciate the neighborhood on its own terms and all that. It was always because people are people, and you were excited to get to know unique people and, and expanded who you were. Well, we're being taught that all of that stuff, if you don't believe it in this framework, mm-hmm. you don't believe it. And I'm saying, no, I've seen it work. I've seen people really care for each other. Well, I want to take it a step in another direction in a way, because okay. what you're talking about is stepping into somebody else's life, like you doing that. Well, missionary well, yeah, in work, work yeah. in your work. And sometimes they do come to you, but in my work, they always come to me. Right. Right. They're always coming to me. Yeah, that's right. The and volition, so, yeah. so when they come to me and I capture them with my own agenda and I throw all of this guilt and shame on them, which is what it is. It's right. throwing guilt and shame. If they're a white client, I have to show them that they're somehow, you know, created all of this strife uh, and negativity in the world or they're guilty by association because of their ancestors that did it. And if they are a representative of a minority culture, I'm supposed to educate them on how the culture has oppressed them and how limited they are, which is disempowering to all of my clients. There is nothing. There is nothing empowering there. I'm just heaping further guilt and shame on them. And if they're coming in and they're already depressed or they're feeling anxious or they have anger issues or they're not eating because whatever it's shame or guilt, I'm heaping more on them. Yeah. 
And we're doing this. I want people to know this is happening in the schools. This is being given to our kids through bullying programs, anti-bullying programs, that parents are not allowed to know what it is. And that's where it's starting. And then now we have it with school counselors because they are part of being trained in these universities, too. And if they are federally funded schools, right, Mm -hmm. then they are mandated to do this. Or else. Or else. Do you remember when we went to Dachau and we went to Germany yeah. and we went to the concentration camp? Right. And if you, you've got to see him. You've got to see what man's inhumanity to man can really do. Mm-hmm. But remember the little girl that took us around? Mm-hmm. She has made such an imprint. She I mean, made a, you, well, you because she was so guilty. Yeah. She was so guilty. First of all, she had a wonderful face, but mm-hmm. it, it seemed so down and mm-hmm. dour. And I finally asked her, I said, honey, I mean, you know, I know this well, is a pretty. Well, you didn't call her honey, but that's well, how you felt. Like you yeah, were, like, you I mean, felt like I, you were a father figure to her. You wanted yeah, but but because I was, you wanted to I wanted to console her because I was like, "Why are you so down? Why are you mm-hmm. so depressed?" And her point was, "Well, I'm from Dachau," mm-hmm. and I said, "Okay." Yeah. She said, "Well, the Germans have actually so the whole German country, the other Germans have decided that the people from Dachau mm-hmm. were the problem, mm-hmm. and they're the guilty ones. Mm-hmm. They're not guilty. The Dachau people are right." And so the fact that she's from Dachau and the fact that she had nothing to do with any of that stuff, she bears the weight of the sin of what happened in that place, even though it probably had nothing to do even with the people of Dachau. Mm-hmm. It was just happened to do because of this evil regime that, that had taken over there, Germany, that right? Placed that there. But it was amazing because she was like a yeah. sacrificial lamb, and that allowed the rest of the Germans to not take any responsibility, Correct. and it allowed her to be crushed under the weight of a guilt she could never get away from. Mm-hmm. And that's what we want to do in the oppressed oppressor dynamic to everyone. Mm-hmm. A- again, you just sit there and go, this is foolishness because it takes away moral agency. It takes away God's work in the world. It takes away the uniqueness of you being created in God's image mm-hmm. and with unique gifts. It takes all that away and mm-hmm. says that's not part of the equation. So all of the we, we, that we've been talking about has what's happening right now today. And one of the reasons I decided to speak out about it. You know, I've worked in the schools, in secular and in Christian universities, and, you know, there used to be a big difference between what was being taught in each one, and that's not quite true anymore. Yeah, they've merged it. Yeah, and it's becoming quite disappointing. I'm not saying all of them, but it is happening. So, you know, when we have these students that are being indoctrinated, and like you said, they make it a virtuous thing to do this, right? Yeah. And it isn't. It's anything but. It's causing so much harm. I decided to talk about it. And there are professors now that are starting to push back on this. And they are being threatened to lose their jobs, to have their jobs taken away because they are saying no. And the thing is, and this has started with all the safe space business, too. I mean, not started, but the safe space business really pushed me, I guess, again, really to want to come and talk about this. Because a few years ago when we were talking about these safe spaces from all these mob groups, as therapists, we're always taught that the best way to heal is to confront your fear, right? To confront sure. it and to be uncomfortable because that's where you grow, right? Yeah. So you have to find a supportive circle or have a professional supportive therapist to help you do this. And now when we're saying, oh, you're not able to deal with it, we're going to give you a little space over here where you can go to. And if you're African-American, if you're black, it's going to be only for people with the same color skin that can enter there. And no whites can come in at all because they're threatening to you just because you look upon them. They are threatening to your space. That is unhealthy right? because you cannot control the world. You can only control yourself. 
So we're sitting here telling people, well, you have to avoid certain spaces. You have to expect people to act a certain way, which is the opposite of therapy. That is the opposite of it's healthy, the, good therapy. It's opposite of maturity, too. And we have all of these professors <laughs> sitting, exactly, emotional intelligence. I mean, we're stifling them. First of all, you have this new generation that is growing up primarily using technology to socialize. They don't right. even know how to be in the presence of another physically. Then we're sitting here saying, okay, they're already struggling with that. Now we're sitting here going, oh, let's create a safe space for you. And we're paying for these safe spaces to be built for these people, for these students, these workers, whatever. And we think we're being woke and we're being virtuous and we're being, you know, honoring. Well, we're not. We're not. We are hurting them. We are hurting our students. We are hurting our workers. We are hurting people. And it's the opposite of what we were taught. It's the opposite. But it's all politics. It's all politics, and unfortunately, the final arbiter in politics, uh, just for those of you who know what I do in Washington, it becomes the state capriciously or arbitrarily determining what values right. are going to be enforced and That's what right. aren't. And if you look around the world, most places that live that way, eventually they empower the upper crust mm -hmm. and they destroy everybody else. And tyranny is usually what comes next. And there's a sense where you as an individual fade into the background. And I think the, the thing that I get so upset about is that God loves you individually. Mm -hmm. God created you. And that's the thing that this is ultimately at war with. It's ultimately at war with the fact that you're precious. And that what's beautiful about that is that it's valuing you as an individual, right? right? And the other way, it's people feel so disempowered. The only way that they have a voice, and if you see it today, is when they're in a group. Right. When they're in a group. And, and even there, they have to conform to that group or then they lose their power. Like you right. just said, too, even with your counselors, once you started to say, look, I'm Hispanic. I'm a minority. I fit all your criteria. Mm -hmm. But because they didn't like how you dealt with that, and the black conservatives that I deal with on the Hill, yeah. the Hispanic conservatives, they're treated this way. These are people fully in— Because they're they, not on board. They embrace their agency. Mm -hmm. They actually love their freedom. They want to make their own way, mm -hmm. and yet they're victimized oh, yes. for being that person. Mm -hmm. And you're sitting there going— Because they're not conforming. And that's what I said even about white people. I hate so much of what I even see today. Like, well, there was that one movie where it was a white guy married— an ethnic girl. Oh, are you talking about my Greek, big fat Greek Yeah, wedding? my big fat Greek wedding. And <laughs> I was so about mad that. about that because the guy had absolutely no culture. <laughs> you would have thought that every white person grew up golfing at the club. Oh, yeah. And I just said, no, some of us actually used to sing our own songs and some of us had cultural songs that we grew yeah, up with and some of us had, yeah, we had unique yeah. dances and sure. unique food and we had all that too. You know, what, what is this thing that we're all this mesh of like a Northeastern, nothing to bring you know, to the social table. You're, liberal. Yeah, you're, you're boring and... And I just, said, so you can't even categorize us because I don't get along with people like that. Yes, you do. Do I not? I love them. <laughs> but, but seriously, I think that what you were saying is very important about looking at a person's value as a unique individual instead of saying that you're just part of a group. You're yeah. part of a group and more, right? Well, so we, and, we're not teaching that right well, now. Well, think about this, and I, maybe this is my last thought on this. First of all, you're the therapist. You really know how to untangle all this stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm really just kind of reacting to what you're talking about because I think with your faith, with your wisdom, I think you can I help people. Say that people. again. With my faith and my what? Uh, okay. D <laughs> did I say this? Yeah. <laughs> As a counselor. Remember, I'm your ride home today. <laughs> I am your ride home today. No, you know, the, but again, when I was thinking about this, it, you can untangle this stuff and you can really be a blessing to your clients. That much I know. Mm -hmm. 
but the one thing that I think I bring to this is the knowledge. You know, like the Bible finally says that all of us really don't fully understand our own identities. We're all broken. We're all right. sinful. And It'd then be we start. If we did, and then we start to understand God's reflection, God's X-ray of us, and that's a Ten Commandments experience at first. But finally, it ultimately resolves itself that your ultimate identity is in Christ. Mm-hmm. And then if there's a sense where you're in Christ because now you realize he's everything right. for you right. and now you get to be uniquely yourself in him for others, yeah. then he can say something like, in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, right. for we are all one in Christ. And if you're looking to actually have harmony and peace and all the things that good therapy will bring to you, mm-hmm. Well, Christ says, therapy might help you see your need for it, but I'm the one that finally delivers all of this. So look for your identity ultimately there, too. Right. And I just want to say to everybody, you know, anything that you're going through right now, anything you're going through, you already have in you. God has put everything in you for you to deal with whatever that is. He has equipped you fully. Therapists, you go to them, you come to me so that we can just kind of show you a framework for how to pull those things out of you. Because when you're in an emotional state, you can't always see that. And so that's why you come to us. We are not the people that are going to be waving a wand. We're not fairy godmothers or godfathers. We can't fix you, make you better. Rather, we just give you a framework for pulling out what God has already put in you. Because you have everything you need to fulfill your purpose to get through whatever you are going through in this life right here, right now. And that social justice framework, folks, because this is my PhD, it's in the liberation theology things and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. It's a different salvation construct. Mm -hmm. And so it's radically against the view that God actually came into the world in Christmas, lived your life, died your death so he could give you his life. It's saying that doesn't work, Mm -hmm. that there's a political framework that can solve your problems. And we'll mesh it with philosophy, we'll mesh it with counseling, we'll mesh it with everything, but ultimately it's a political solution to the soul. Mm -hmm. And psychology should say, nah, there isn't a political solution to the soul because theology says there isn't a political solution. There's only a spiritual and emotional one. Mm -hmm. And so again, that's what we're trying to tell you today. And the good news is people are pushing back on it because they care about their clients, right? Yeah. Those of us that really do care about the client are deciding to speak up. And I'm one of them. And I hope, I really do hope that if you are in private practice and you're a therapist, that you are bold enough to stand by your values and your beliefs and and what you know is really best for your client and do not embrace this at all. And if you are seeking, if you're on the cusp of seeking assistance as a client or a patient, I would suggest just remember when you are seeking out a therapist, you're interviewing them just as they are interviewing you to see if it's a good fit and ask them if this is something that they embrace. If social identity politics is something they embrace and that is not something that you are on board with, I would suggest you move on (laughs) because this is not good therapy. Wise advice. I know, right? So always remember, there are two kinds of fire in the world. The one that burns and consumes. And the one that burns and empowers. May God's word and God's love burn brightly in you, giving you strength to face any fire. Till next time, little embers, I'm Marie. And I'm Greg. See See you you soon. Through the Fire is a production of Family Vision Media. FamilyVisionMedia.org.